Welcome back, everyone, to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world, covering Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. WildcatRadioAZ.com is our website. You can follow us on Twitter at WildcatRadioAZ, and you can subscribe to the podcast for free on any podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify now, by the way. That was a big a big step for us. We're on Spotify, Google Play, you name it. We are there. And this is a very special episode. I'm, I'm really interested in getting into depth about the notice of subpoena uh, that was basically delivered to Sean Miller uh, this last week. We're going to dive in. We actually got a lawyer. He's bona fide. He's bona fide. We got an awesome lawyer on here. Um, the Law Dog from the Dog Pod, which is one of our partner and uh, one of my favorite podcasts in the Pac-12. And uh, Law Dog, you and I had talked about this really when the story broke probably a year and a half ago. I might re-release that, actually, because it was a really good conversation. How are you? I'm good, man. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, definitely a lot of news lately. It would be great if it was good legal news. I'd love to have you on for like, hey, Arizona sued and won a gazillion dollars. Now they're going to be a national title contender for years to come in football. But that is neither here nor there. And Washington is uh, uh, last, you know, at, at the top of the heap there. But um, good to have you on. Thank you for joining. We'll dive a little bit deeper into the intro here, but I do have a few more things to cover. Uh, we're also joined by Mr. Rob Bowen. What's going on, Rob? Oh, I'm excited to talk about this, even though this is uh, this is one of those instances where I'm a little disappointed I didn't go to law school. (laughs) Um, So I want to make a plea at the very beginning of this conversation, and that is um, we're going to try to tackle this as adults and walk through the the idea on our end is uh, we're not happy that this stuff is happening, but we do think that it's an important enough story to try to look at some of the possibilities and break down what this stuff means and bring on somebody that is smarter than us that can walk through what this means. So if you think this is a good conversation at the end of this, at the end of this podcast, if you like what this is, and if you liked the product, share it, like that would be the biggest thing that you can do for this podcast. We're really trying to make sure that somebody is covering this portion of the story, but also like we're, we're going to talk about Vegas and Arizona basketball and all that stuff. So if you like the podcast, share it. That would be super helpful. Before we dig into the meat of this conversation, we're going to Vegas. We're going to Vegas next week. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. Rob, uh, well, actually, let me ask you, Alex, uh, have you, the law dog, have you, uh, are you going to Vegas this, this week? You know, a couple of my friends are, and they put the pressure on me a few weeks ago, but uh, just too much going on. Uh, so I'm not going to make it, although I am disappointed. Ah. Uh. Rob's lit four couches on fire every every week. He's there. It's real fun. It's real fun to go out there. He just gets out of control. So. It's time to go play some crap. You guys will have to have fun watching bad basketball. <laughs> yeah, a couple announcements to make. I'm sorry that you won't join us here, Law Dog. But uh, so if you're going to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, we're going to be there, and we have a couple things to announce. The first is we're going to have at least two shows. We're going to record two podcasts and release them in Las Vegas. So if you're not in Vegas, you can kind of live vicariously through the podcast there. And uh, just witness the sadness that is going to the, this tournament when Arizona is not uh, not the top seed. The second thing is we're going to have two periscopes that we're going to do, at least two periscopes, at least two shows. So definitely tune into those. If you haven't followed us on Twitter, that's how you're going to be able to get connected with these shows at Wildcat Radio AZ. We'll also try to post them to Facebook, but I can't promise that. Rick's in charge of Facebook, and Rick like never sleeps in Las Vegas. So follow us on Twitter. Get the Twitter uh, the feed if you don't have it. Follow us at Wildcat Radio AZ. 
crazy. The second thing is that we're going to host one of those shows at the beer house, the beer house at the park. Um, it is uh, basically the big giant bar that's in between Park MGM and New York, New York. Um, we're going to be doing that at 1 p.m. on Friday. So let us know if you can come. We'll, we'll send out an invitation to everybody. It's an open invitation to our live show, 1 o'clock p.m. on Friday at the beer house. It's at, in the park in between Park MGM and New York, New York. The final thing is uh, we. this is just a blowout extravaganza for the Pac-12 tournament. Arizona might not be in the best position, but Wildcat Radio is damn it. And we're doing Pac-12 bingo, Pac-12 tournament bingo. I have bingo cards, um, which has like a bunch of stuff that you can check off as you're watching the tournament. And if you win, we're giving out free swag. We have a ton of Arizona gear, a ton of Arizona t-shirts to enter is free. Um, and we're also having a Pac-12 tournament bracket. I have rules. I have rules. I literally put them in a box. I put it like our logo on it. Um, if you want to partake in that, we have a Pac-12 tournament bracket that's ready. Here's how you can enter. There's three ways. The first is share this podcast. If you share it and we see it, I, I got your back. The second is write a review, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's a super big help to us when people are looking for Arizona basketball. And the third is you can get both of these. You can get a two for Tuesday, the Pac-12 bingo and the Pac-12 tournament bracket. If uh, when you share us, you specifically at somebody, like if you tell your friend, we will give you both the Pac-12 bracket and the Pac-12 bingo tournament. All right, let's get into this because it is uh, we have a lot to talk about here. Yahoo News broke last week, uh, again, that there was a notice subpoena that was issued to Sean Miller. And um, we're going to approach this from the following standpoint, and then we're going to kind of dig into the details. Um, we're approaching this from this isn't devastating, but it's certainly not good. Um, there's a possibility that Miller takes the stand. There's a possibility that he doesn't take the stand. And we want to walk through these uh, two different scenarios and, and then dig into where the defense is coming from and really get into the weeds on this. So, Alex, let's just start from like bare bones right now. What is a subpoena? A subpoena is a legal command to appear in court or some other setting like Congress. You may have heard the word subpoena used, but to appear on the record. Um, and I mean, they're not traditionally optional. This is a command from the court saying, be here. Okay. All right. And then, so I think the the first portion of this that, and it's certainly the biggest question that Arizona fans have been asking is whether or not uh, Sean Miller can appear or if there's a way for him not to appear uh, in this particular trial? Well, I, I think to put it bluntly, I don't know that that decision will actually be ultimately up to Sean Miller. Um, he may be able to file some kind of motion to quash the subpoena, but that would generally be on the grounds of some kind of a technicality, like it wasn't served properly or um, he didn't uh, have adequate notice which is kind of why I think they're sending out this notice uh, early to him right now so that he cannot to, to cut off and preclude those arguments from being made. Uh, I think the best uh, chance for him to not have to testify in this case would probably be if the prosecutors were able to uh, make his uh, make the judge rule that his testimony was going to be irrelevant. Um, so meaning if the, if they ruled that the defense strategy that his testimony was required to, uh, to make to the jury, um, wasn't going to be relevant or wasn't admissible for some other reason, then I could see possibly his testimony being excluded, but I don't think that decision will be up to him. Okay. And Rob, you had a couple of questions. I want to bring you in, but I have two more 
along this line of questioning and then and then we'll go <laughs> <Dive> right in. <laughs> I feel like Gary Parrish where he just like monologues for 15 minutes of his podcast and then somebody else talks. But um, so two questions that were brought up to us in regards to a subpoena. We sent out the bat signal. Hey, send us your question. We, we got we had a lawyer coming on. We want to talk about this. The two questions were there was a couple other instances in which a subpoena could be uh, technically not even quashed, but like just instances in which Miller wouldn't have to testify. One of them was the fact that the subpoena was basically too inconvenient for somebody to attend. It's too far away. The timing's too it's too expensive. The timing's too crazy. Do people normally quash a subpoena that way? I, I don't. I don't think that's a normal uh, thing, but it's not impossible. Uh, although it wouldn't preclude him from having to testify, it would potentially just delay it. Uh, so, for example, the basketball season's going on right now. He's got a very demanding job. Those types of things could be taken into consideration by the court, but ultimately at some point the season will slow down and he will be available to testify. Um, you know, no person's schedule is deemed to be too crazy to be able to come to court when issued a lawful subpoena. So I think that's kind of the, the way to think of it. Well, we all know Arizona is going to the final four, so this is going to be delayed at least until <laughs> April. <laughs> the NIT final. <laughs> um, the second instance here, uh, Law Dog, and then we'll, I'll throw it to you here, Rob, is uh, that the person testifying is in a would be put in a position where they could get themselves into trouble by being on the stand. And that one stood out a little bit more to me. Yeah, that, for, that's definitely, <laughs> I mean, this is going to be a double-edged sword if you're an Arizona fan, right? If Sean Miller appears to the court and says, I cannot testify, I need to preserve my Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination, hey, great. But you can probably, you know, preclude yourself or withhold testimony from the court for that reason. He will still be subject to questions, um, and he'll have to answer each question accordingly. Uh, so, you know, if, if I, for example, if the attorney were to ask, hey, what's your name? You know, you can't assert the Fifth Amendment where it will not <laughs> self-incriminate. So that is a way to shorten, abbreviate his testimony, potentially scare off um, the parties from calling him as a witness uh, as, you know, as a whole. But... Uh, you know, the, the other side of that coin is if, if he's, if he's, you know, taking the fifth, then that is bad news probably for Arizona basketball. That means crimes have been committed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, and I want to get or, into, or, he, or he, 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 I mean, he has a constitutional right, obviously it's not saying that crimes have been committed, but it's evidence probably in the public eye and in the eyes of the FBI and the NCAA that there's more to investigate there. Okay. Um, Okay, Rob, I also want to preface, like, not preface, but end everything that Alex just said in regards to if he takes the stand. And I want to get more into the, the likelihood of him actually taking the stand. But I know you have a million questions. So what do you got? <laughs> well, I mean, in regards to this, there's also <clears throat> there's there's another coach that's been subpoenaed, and that's Will Wade. So I wanted to ask about, because there's a possibility that a judge allows one to testify in this case. And then the prosecution comes in and says, listen, we're willing to stipulate that every coach that you put on the stand after this is going to say the same thing and tell the same story. And let's just keep this thing moving along. And so at that, at that point, could, 
sort of whoever came, whoever drew the longer straw, if you will, and didn't have to testify first, avoid testifying. Could the judge sort of say, yes, we are willing to stipulate and tell the jury that, like, this is commonplace in college basketball. All of this nefarious stuff is going on, and you just don't want to be the first one to have to testify. So that's definitely a possibility. I, uh, However, I would caution against kind of pinning hopes on that because I don't think the prosecutors will have a lot of vested interest in doing so. I think the prosecutors, and again, I'm not in the weeds on this trial. I don't know all of the ins and outs and the facts, but my guess is if the defense is trying to use that argument of the coaches all do this type of thing, then the prosecutors will will maybe want to push back on that a little bit and say, oh, okay, coach, did you really bribe? Because yeah. they're going to know that some coaches are not going to want to say that on the record. So um, I, I think that's a gamble, mm-hmm. um, but it's possible. It's certainly possible that that um, is an outcome, yeah. And I, I think, too, I think I my assumption has been that the defense uh, – that Will Wade and Sean Miller are not being called by accident, if you will. <laughs> that, um, yeah, the, and they've got them on tape, right? Yeah, right. Um, I mean, they have they have substantial interactions with with Christian Dawkins. Um, you know, we have Will Wade. Uh, part of his conversation with uh, Dawkins was read out uh, into the court record as part of the the sentencing portion of the last trial. Uh, and Sean Miller from phone records have has quite a few conversations of longer than five minutes with Christian Dawkins. The defense has sort of said uh, for for a few months now that in in this trial, as opposed to the previous trial, that this trial they their defense would be exposing the underbelly of college basketball. If you're the defense attorney, you're picking these guys because you have the most evidence from. I mean, because because of the discovery process, you know what the federal government has that they, they have the most evidence on on these two. Yeah, I think that's exceedingly likely, yeah. And I should just mention, you mentioned Will Wade, Rob, and the conversation that Will Wade had with Christian Dawkins is... Will Wade, ooh. It's straight out of a movie. He literally goes, hold on one second, I need to close the door. And then he basically is like, let's do the damn thing. Like That was in regards to Do you want this guy? (laughs) Well, and it should also be said, I mean, because I think a lot of fans have basically come out and said, listen, you know, Sean Miller has this strong denial. You and I, Bryant, um, and you, you currently work in politics. I used to work in a little politics. I think there's some loopholes in Sean Miller's denial that he left himself. Um, but Will Wade came out and gave a no, I mean, when he, his name sort of surfaced originally, and this is, is being connected with Christian Dawkins, Will Wade came out and said, I've never done business with Christian Dawkins on anything. And then, of course, in the sentencing, they read out like, do you want this guy or not? <laughs> I mean, it was, Will Wade, if he makes the stand, is going to eat a lot of words. <laughs> um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm a defense lawyer, I can subpoena a lot of people and I can make a case that a lot of people should show up to court. Um, is there a limit on to how many people I could say, well, you know what? I want this guy. I want this guy. I want this guy. As long as I make a semi-valid argument to get them to court. Um, that was kind of more what I was talking about is can, uh, you know, are, are these subpoenas quashed often? Because if somebody just calls me somewhere and, and makes like a, you know, a half-baked or a, even a quarter-baked, <laughs> three-quarters-baked idea of why I should be there, that doesn't quite jive with why I really need to be there. Can they still do that? 
Yeah. yeah, so the the notice of subpoena that's gone out, for all we know, that's come from one of the parties themselves, right? The judge, though, of overseeing the trial will be the arbiter of that decision, will decide, okay, this testimony is either relevant or necessary. And then at that point, the prosecutors or another party could potentially still try to exclude the testimony for some other reason. Uh, one of the good suggestions made by Rob was, this is going to be unduly repetitive. We don't need to sit here for five days while the jury hears all this. So th- there are things that could happen. Um, I just, uh, you know, from my experience, I think the, the judge is probably going to sign off on these things because when you're being charged criminally, uh, judges do generally give a wide latitude to criminal defendants to say, okay, you tell your story and plead your case. Unless it's contrary to the rules of evidence or law, they generally get an opportunity to make that case. I mean, if I, I'm, if I do make good points here, it's because my dad and my brother and my, my partner, she is also a lawyer. I have a few lawyers that I've been bugging with questions. <laughs> and that, was, that one was from my dad. But the um, um, a question, because like my... Uh, my dad was bringing up an example that, I mean, he had a judge basically decide like the night before someone was going to testify that my dad was going to lose that witness. <laughs> like it's not, it's not set in stone that you're going to, I mean, somebody's going to testify. Um, no, I, that's absolutely true. I, yeah. I, I used to be a prosecutor myself and I oh, yeah. made mo- motions to exclude witnesses. Um, when I just thought, Hey, this is not going to be relevant or yeah. I don't have any basis to believe that this is going to be truthful or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons you can make that motion. I just, it's hard to know exactly what those motions are going to look like without knowing a little bit more of the facts and the nature of the defense. Yeah, and how, I guess the question I have then, because uh, uh, slowly getting to is the, uh, how is this different than the first trial? So the first trial, I mean, without, I, I, and I think that there's a very specific difference the defense keeps pointing to as to why they get to make a broader case. And that is, in the first trial, the facts were not in dispute. Um, And so the judge was able to say, like, let's just stick to a very, very narrow, you know, area that we can argue on. Um, And the defense was not able to bring in sort of this larger, you know, culture of, you know, dark culture of college basketball, the underbelly of recruiting argument. In this trial, um, apparently, according to legal watchers, um, the the facts are in dispute, and that the, I, as a total non legal person, um, that gives the defense greater latitude in the type of defense that they can present. Well, so a yes and no, and so okay. how I would answer that is I, I think from reading what's available publicly, publicly reported. Um, you know, insights into the strategies of the parties and whatnot. Um, What I've heard from is the first trial was basically uh, a a case of this happened, but this wasn't deceiving the university. We didn't defraud the university um, because they, you know, they want to win basketball games. They want to make money. Um, Right. So they were kind of complicit. So yes, to your point, the facts were more stipulated upon and it was less important um, whether or not this was being carried out across college basketball. The second trial though, they appear and it's not clear. We don't know until they actually, uh, you know, go into the courtroom, but it appears to be, this is a widespread issue of culture in college basketball you're singling out my client for prosecution when everybody does this. 
And they're almost trying to make the jury sympathize with him rather than um, focus on the facts individually of this specific conversation that led to the fraud that's being alleged. So to do that, yeah, they want to broaden the scope. It's possible that the prosecutors will say, you can't bring every college basketball coach here and put them on trial um, to prove something that's not related to the facts of this case. That's absolutely a possibility. Um, And I think that's, if you're an Arizona fan, that's what you're hanging your hat on right now is to say, look, this is all like basically outside the scope of what this particular criminal defendant did. Right. Cause he, cause Dawkins and, and everyone like in this particular trial are basically on trial for bribing public officials. Is that, is, am I getting that right? Right. Rob? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess w- w- one of the questions would be, Dawkins, let's use Christian Dawkins as a specific example, because I think Arizona is in a a unique position right now in the sense of not only was our name thrown around and kind of dragged in the mud in this last trial, but you have an assistant coach basically um, pleading guilty to accepting bribes. And most of those bribes that he took were to drive players from um, from Arizona to a money management company or to an agency, which is different um, than a, a lot of the other schools that have been thrown around here. That was more um, – they were taking money to get a player to come to the university. Does that matter at all? You know, I, I, I was thinking while you are asking that question, and I'm not – as familiar enough with the federal statutes specifically to, to tell you for sure. My guess is my guess is that doesn't matter, but I cannot answer that with any certainty. What I would say is I think that, that um, the bribery in itself is kind of the, the, the meat and the potatoes, so to speak um, from the NCA's perspective, I think it would make a huge difference. Um, but in terms of the federal courts, I, I, uh, it's hard to know. It just seems like, uh, or at least it's hard. It's hard for me to know. I don't know that answer. Yeah, well, I just well, yeah. and uh, just like we'll do this, and then we'll take a break, and then Rob definitely jump. But I just think that there's a difference between what happened at Arizona and elsewhere. So if the defense is trying to say, you know, this is happening everywhere, but there's only been really five coaches that have pled guilty to actually bribing an official more on the sense of like, hey, come to our agency, rather than hey, here's some money to get your player to come to the university. It seems like there would be. Uh, a difference there, but uh, to be continued, let's, let's talk about this right after this delicious message. Well, I, I think too, though, that um, the, it is different because Will Wade LSU is neither an Adidas school, nor did they have an assistant charged. I mean, Will Wade, I think is a, the, the key here for when people think about why is Sean Miller being subpoenaed? He is not being subpoenaed in all likelihood. If, if you, think of his subpoena and Will Wade's subpoenas um, being similar for their purpose. I mean, Will Wade is not being subpoenaed to talk about Book Richardson or any other assistant coach getting bribed by Christian Dawkins or Merle Code to go to a financial advisor. (laughs) I mean, they are there to talk about the interactions between coaches and runners and coaches and shoe companies. Um, And I don't think, I mean, I, well, a lot of her, I think, there are some Arizona fans that are sort of saying like, Oh, what does it matter? Sean Miller's just going to get up there and give denials. I don't think that there's a program, even coaches that, you know, in that first trial 
you know, people sort of said like John Beeline at Michigan, he doesn't pay for players. Like, and that was sort of something that a lot of people said, like, oh, that's kind of known. Like, I don't think you'd, even if John Beeline, you didn't think he paid for players, you still, you'd still be uncomfortable getting subpoenaed <laughs> because, um, the, the 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 powers that are different between the NCAA and what is a crime and, and and the FBI are very different, but the power to compel you to testify for you know a court case versus the NCAA is also very different. No, there's no coach in America that wants to be subpoenaed to talk about recruiting. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I mean, you, any, anybody. Okay, so one of the other things that is interesting was there there uh, was an Arizona media outlet that was basically talking about. Well, look, there's not even a chance that there might be a chance that uh, Dawkins and company take a plea agreement and because nobody wants to go to jail. Um, and that that clearly <laughs> I got sunk recently. <laughs> so uh, so, Rob, you want to talk a little bit to the news that broke? I think it was yesterday, it was either today or yesterday um, about the basically the penalties that were given out to the, the defendants in the first trial. Well, a few few Arizona fans that watch a little too much Law and Order, <laughs> or maybe not enough Law and Order, who um, were saying that, uh, and one Arizona outlet in particular was saying that you know Dawkins' lawyer was a bad lawyer because um, they had a deal on the table, um, and they should take that deal, blah blah blah. But of course, like Dawkins and Code, they were found guilty in the first trial. They had always planned on appealing that. Um, sort of regardless. And I, I guess I, I always thought it would be, I thought the argument was silly. Like if you're going to appeal the first conviction, you're clearly not going to give up on the second and take a deal. But that got an even further stake driven into its heart when Judge Kaplan yesterday handed out some extremely light sentences. <laughs> um, so Gatto got the longest sentence, the Adidas executive, he got nine months. Um, which is something on the order of uh, less than a quarter of the recommended sentence, the the recommended sentencing guideline. (laughs) Um, Code and Dawkins each got six months, and they also got to choose the minimum security facility. uh, They got to choose their own minimum security facility, so they could do the one that was, they do their time at the place most convenient for them. Um, And they may even end up, you know, doing, um, you know, purely in-house, you know, in-home arrest, actually. (laughs) It's like Enron people, y'all. Like, that's the the type of punishment that we're digging. Well, the judge basically said, like, this is, it's not, I mean, he wanted to send a message by actually handing them a a criminal sentence. But he also said, like, I don't want to make an example out of these guys in particular. That really got my attention. Um, Reading about all this stuff, the the fact these these sentences were on the exceptionally light side, going outside the guidelines um, with more leniency. And presumably these guys do not have they don't have criminal records. This is you know, they can paint this to the judge at sentencing as a one time thing or, you know, this was part of you know, a, a larger system that, that I was a part of, but I didn't direct or orchestrate these, these crimes. I think that it tells you everything you need, need to know about how serious the judge is taking this. He, he's looking at this and going, these guys are not, you know, hardened criminals. So if anything, I think it probably, you know, they, they may want to appeal it just to, to keep those crimes off their record. And in that, if that's the case, then I doubt they'll take a plea deal here, but it also, they may want to just fall on their sword and say, well, serving three or six months is a lot better than what my lawyers told me it was going to be. So maybe if I can just run those sentences concurrently, um, I'll do that and just bite the bullet. 
so much is that they're probably just going to go to trial. But do you, I mean, so I, I, I mean, I, I think not having a felony on your record is <laughs> worth its weight in gold. But I have a question because the 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 deal the the deals that the prosecution, of course, had offered were far longer, like two year deals. After this sentencing, does the prosecution have to alter its deal on the table for this second case? Uh, in practice, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if, if I were them, I would be very concerned that a judge is going to be uh, there to sentence beyond what I'm asking for in the plea agreement. I'd say if I was the prosecutor, and again, I've been in this situation, I would turn to the defense counsel and say, look, this, you know, that sentencing didn't go as we thought it was going to go. In light of that, we are willing to reduce our recommendation if you plead guilty to, you know, X number of months instead of X number of years. And, you know, the def- it's possible the defense, that will be a, a sweet deal that they'll want to jump all over. It's also possible they'll say, I'll take my chances with this judge. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, one of the questions I had was on the the actual sentencing. So when we're talking about the second trial, are these two different trials, like the, the amount of time that could be given to all of these defendants, are they compounded or are they the same? Do they staple them together? How does that work? Cause that was something we were trying to work through off, so off air. I don't know specifically with these charges. There are different, you know, but most in most cases, and this is generally universally true that, Judges have discretion to run sentences consecutively, meaning back to back to back to back to back, or concurrently, meaning, hey, you're serving time on one, we'll count that as time on all. I'd say with a first-time offender, especially where you've already seen the judge kind of turn over his cards a little bit, saying, I don't, I'm not too worried about these guys <laughs> going back <laughs> to the community, uh, I don't think there's much of a chance that they're going to end up running those consecutive. But, you know, it depends on what facts come out this trial. Um you know, if, if the details get more salacious, if they have a different trial judge uh, for this trial, there there are some variables in there. But um, the way I would look at this is, is probably good news for the, the sentencing I felt was just like nothing but good news for the, the charge, the accused there. So, Brian, do you want to, because I, I think for, for Arizona fans, I, we do want to continue to say that you know, that there's a possibility that Sean Miller never testifies in court. But we also do want to cover off what happens if he does. <laughs> um, do we are, are do you have any more? Do we have any more questions on like, will he won't he testify? <laughs> I, yeah, no. And, and obviously we don't want this to happen. I don't want him to testify. Like I would uh, I would love yeah. for the NCAA to blow up, <laughs> but I would not like Sean Miller to testify. Like that's how uh, that's how invested I am in hoping that he doesn't actually make take the stand. So my so I'm curious here because I think if you are Sean Miller and you are Sean, like, I mean, let's say you are Sean Miller's lawyer. <laughs> you are, you have a different set of obligations that I think um, for your client here. I mean, your, your first concern, of course, is like, keep Sean Miller out of jail. I think, I don't think Sean Miller is likely to go to jail here. Like, even if, you know, even if there was a bombshell, like, I mean, I, I feel like from the Rick Patino firing, but non-charge, like the, the FBI showed its cards, like you have to be in the money trail physically touching money practically to get charged in these cases. Um, that said, if you're Sean Miller or Will Wade, your concern is more the NCAA at this point, <laughs> at this point in this trial, right? I mean, you're not worried about, 
going to jail, you're worried about preserving your reputation and your job. Um, how, how as an attorney, do you sort of, I mean, because you, if your if your client gets subpoenaed, you don't have access to any of that discovery process. Um, you're, I'm assuming you're hoping your client can accurately remember the conversations he may have had on. T- on tape, <laughs> I'm, I'm also assuming college basketball coaches have like 30 conversations a day, most of with about recruiting. But how do you? I mean, how do you sort of prep your client for a case where they, you know, if they can speak on something, they're expected to speak on something, but yeah, they could lose. I mean, they could really lose their job, and you, you know, like they're basically hiring you to say, like, hey, help me keep my job. Yeah, I. I think they're in a tricky spot. You're right because they will not have access to discovery. Um, so you're just going to get hit with questions and tape conversations and, um, you know, it's going to say what it says. I think, you know, to turn this back to politics for a second, I think when you hear and see people testifying in front of Congress, you see a lot of this. Well, I don't recall that specifically, or, you know, I don't remember exactly what, what I said that day. I think you're likely to see quite a bit of that from Sean Miller if he were to testify and any of the coaches. Um, and I, my guess is that's why those tapes are there. And, and Mr. Miller, let me allow me to refresh your memory. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think, I think those tapes are probably, if Sean Miller is on the stand, but they are very likely to become part of this trial. Um, and uh, that goes for all the witnesses who they have recorded. And so I, I think that is, Definitely, um, yeah, something to consider. If you're Sean Miller's attorney, yeah, I mean, I think your first objective is to say, look, I want to keep you out of trouble legally. I also want to keep you out of trouble with the NCAA, but that is a bridge that may be, you know, too difficult to cross. Now that Book Richardson has pled guilty to a crime, um, you know, I think that's going to get the NCAA sniffing around Arizona, no matter what, uh, at this point. So, um, you know, I, I think your, your primary objective is to keep him out of trouble. Like you said, I think he's unlikely to be charged because if they were to have that information already, they would have charged him. Is there any way that Miller could make, or Miller's lawyer, let's say he actually takes a stand again, this is all whether or not he actually does. Can they, um, can they bargain for the scope of questioning that would be directed at him? I don't really think that's going to be up to them. It's more likely to be up to the judge and uh, just the, whether the parties agree and what they stipulate to. Um, you know, after thinking about it, though, I, I think you're right. We may see some of that. Oh, yeah, we've asked and answered this. We've heard this before. Other coaches have said this, you know, um, we don't need to go into every painstaking detail on this. So you really just, I mean, like, like the worst thing is to be the first coach to have to testify <laughs> because then you will not be the one that just gets blown over <laughs> and like, Oh yeah. We'll and they're going to choose the, whichever one has the best, the best tapes. That's the one yeah. that's going to have to go. <laughs> uh, and that's, I mean, so it's so, and I had a question here too. So if the, I mean, there are tapes, uh, I mean, we're, we should assume, you know, some of those calls, between Miller and Dawkins were within the period that the FBI had a wiretap on Miller uh, or on, not on Dawkins. Is Miller testifying a vehicle for those tapes being introduced into evidence? I mean, would, I mean, do you have to have to introduce something into evidence? Do you have to sort of, it has to be in the run of questions or can you, 
How does how does that work? So this is a, this is a very this is an evidence one hundred and one question basically. Yes, and, and there's a evidence there's a rule of evidence called the best evidence. We can't we can't use a tape when we have a live person to testify to the facts. Uh-huh. We can't use a document when we have. Um, you know, a copy of a document when we have the original document, that kind of thing. So the, and, and furthermore, a tape being played would technically be hearsay unless it falls into one of the many hearsay exceptions. So Sean Miller will, will be asked questions to testify on the, whatever content, whatever, um, you know, whatever information they're looking for. The tapes would only be used to either refresh his memory if he said those magic words, you know, I don't remember, or um, to impeach him if he said something that was contrary to what was on those tapes. Ah. So I I don't think there's ever going to be a moment where they sit there and press play and just let him go. They're going to use those tapes sparingly where it's needed to contradict uh, Miller's testimony, potentially, or to um, refresh his memory. Can Miller's attorney... I mean, and, and Miller himself used the Fifth Amendment sort of broadly. And I, I don't think that this is necessarily something that, as you alluded to, like it's not a good look with the NCAA um, yeah. to take the Fifth uh, there. But if you're Miller, could you sort of try to use the Fifth Amendment sort of largely as a, a shield and just say, like, you know, I, I took the Fifth you don't have any evidence on you, me and CAA, like whatever, <laughs> you know, like find the, yeah, find I mean, the I like, I, I think that's a real possibility. I mean, I, I think it's a real possibility. And if I was Miller's attorney and I mean, it depends on what there is, right. It depends on what facts are there. You know, there could be some kind of an offer proof if they say, no, 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 he's lying. Um, you know, we, you know, if they have some evidence that, you know, it wouldn't incriminate him in some way, then maybe they could, they could compel his testimony. But, um, you know, yeah, I think that's a real open-ended possibility for sure is for him to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to testify to any of these things because they're, it's going to incriminate myself and my knowledge of this stuff. Uh, he won't have to say it in those words, but, um, yeah. you know, he can just say, I'm, I'm executing my fifth amendment rights. That's, that's a possibility. Like I said, though, I just, that is a double-edged sword in itself. I think if I was an Arizona fan, there would be some uneasy uh, stomachs if that were to come out on, on the stand. And if, I mean, I guess if, if you're the defense, I mean, it's not the worst outcome if you're the defense. You know, if, the, if you're basically wanting to show a larger outcome of criminality and, like, your guys are just the only guys being charged, then um, having Miller take the fifth That amendment. proves the point consistently is, is, is not like, but at the same time, there may be specifics that they want to get in and it's not great for the prosecution. Um, the judge can come, the judge could decide that the fifth amendment doesn't apply if it doesn't, if what you're being asked doesn't cover a, a felony, if is that correct? Well, um, I mean, like I think one of the one of the sides would have to challenge it and say like, Hey, this really isn't a crime that he's claiming the fifth amendment on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think you would get into kind of a factual dispute about that. And, you know, it's just it's hard to know. Uh, you know, if, if he's simply saying, hey, go get me the best recruits, that's not a that's not a federal crime. So at what what, what steps, what things does he specifically have to do, um, you know, to give it to the rise to that level? I you know, it's that's difficult to say. And if, if Miller, please, you guys, I, fifth, have to do this, but I actually have to oh. run right now. 
So oh. I'm going to have to bounce off, but, uh, okay. but I appreciate the opportunity to, to come on. And, uh, if you guys want to do a follow up another time, I'm definitely willing to do that. It's great. <laughs> hey, no problem, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate the law dog. Check them out on the dog pod podcast. Uh, everything Washington. If you're a Washington fan, that is where, uh, that is where the babies are made there, right at the, the, the dog pod. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Thanks. It's great. Thanks guys. No problem. Rob, let's, let's stay on and keep this going a little bit more. Um, did, did we get everything? Were there any other like major questions that we should have asked that we possibly could, you know, ask in the future? <laughs> I have one that I'm like dying. So I tell you what, I have a follow-up question and I will get an answer from one of my lawyer relatives and post it on Twitter. And that is if you take the fifth amendment, can the defense play the tape? Like if they were asking you a question about something they have on tape and you take the fifth, can the defense then play? Hey, we have this on tape. Turns out, I don't know. I just think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I think we got to a lot. Most I'm going through the questions that listener asked. Uh, why did you know? Why just subpoena Miller and Wade? I think the answer to that is likely because there are tapes that we know about um, that are extensive on both Wade and and Miller, and there's yes. likely something in those specific tapes that get to what the defense wants to highlight. So I think one of the things that we see a decent amount are Arizona fans saying um, we're being we're being picked on. We're being focused on We're you know, Yahoo has it out for us. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take out the Schlebach, Schlebach, whatever story, put that, put that in its own little <laughs> Island. But on some of this other stuff, I mean, there's a reason why the defense, the fence isn't stupid. Like I, I, the idea that, which, which has been argued by a couple outlets that, that, that Christian Dawkins lawyer is an idiot. I mean, like there aren't a lot of Gary Cohns out there, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, there was a reason why they challenged the first, uh, why they challenged everything in the first trial and it worked. Like they got a, a significantly less uh, of a, a sentence because they actually challenged this. And so now they have a second yeah. option to do this. Um, so they're, they're picking these people, not because they have it out for Sean Miller, but because there's likely something in there that's, pointing to their, um, pointing to their, their case. Uh, I'm going to go through a couple other ones here. Why would the defense rather than the prosecution subpoena Miller? I think this kind of goes to what we were talking about, but, um, you want to tackle that one? Yeah. I mean, the, the defense in this case they're they want to make this case of the, the broader and we're going purely off of both the assumption that we have that the defense has been and, and Steve Haney, the uh, Dawkins lawyer, has been the source on a lot of the Yahoo stories, both quoted and uh, anonymous. Um, but the defense has been saying for months that in this trial, their their strategy was going to be to expose the underbelly of college basketball and show that their clients were just sort of, you know, like one of many participants in the game. Um, and in that case, then it is Miller is being compelled to testify here because of that. And I, I think the prosecution isn't calling Miller because I don't think that they have any evidence on, on, on Miller knowing anything about books side deal. Okay. Okay. Um, other questions here. Who's responsible for the expenses incurred? I think we answered that on Twitter. I'll, I'll get an answer on that. Um, it's the, it's the, it's the defense. It's whoever does the subpoenaing actually. So if okay. it's the prosecution, then the government, if it's the, um, if it's the defense, then the the defendant actually ends up paying out of pocket. Okay. Um, any bar the defense must clear uh, to subpoena someone? I think we covered that already. If Miller took the stand, would the scope of questioning be limited? We answered that as well. What else? What else do you want to talk about? I just I think that I, I 
I'm not. I'm not entirely certain. I'm, I'm. I'm a little less certain that I was about Miller testifying. I mean, I was. I felt more confident. Or maybe two, you know, a week ago that maybe Miller's going to testify. I, I still think he likely does, um, but I don't think. I mean, if you're an Arizona fan, um, this is this is like the darkest timeline. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I mean, just don't sugarcoat it. I mean, no coach, no one wants, I mean, no Duke would not want Mike Krzyzewski to have to testify about college basketball recruiting under oath with the NCAA listening. Um, and I think it's going to get, I think it could get really interesting because I, I, like I said, like, I still think it's likely, I mean, you do see subpoenas get tossed and witnesses, you know, get, you know, get nixed, uh, even at the last minute. But, um, as the law dog was saying, you know, like you're given a broad latitude to defend your client normally. Um, and a lot of that is so that the, the defense doesn't have, uh, easy grounds for appeal, but it's also that, you know, the lawyers are as officers of the court are supposed to, um, you know, clear the bar of not bringing frivolous business before the court. <laughs> and most of them take that pretty seriously. Um, I just, I, you, you don't see a lot of subpoenas get tossed. I mean, witnesses do get quashed and it's, it's not infrequent, but relative to the total number of witnesses, it, it doesn't happen a lot. But I, I do think too, it, you, you really want Will Wade to be the first one on the stand. You want them to have the most evidence with Will Wade. Um, Cause there is that possibility that they, they basically decide like Will Wade is actually a representative sample of how bad college basketball actually is. And yeah. then Sean Miller gets out, <laughs> which would be amazing for Arizona. It would be like getting a, uh, a like the governor staying your execution at the last minute. <laughs> well, to, to your point in regards to they're not throwing out subpoenas willy nilly, they've only subpoenaed two coaches. So um, yeah. I, I would argue that the defense certainly is making a public <laughs> A public affairs nightmare for the NCAA and for coaches. Certainly, they've been leaking to Yahoo. They've been leaking to ESPN. Oh, check out! Like we may or may not have these things. We may or may not have these things. Right. And like, so I think that that has happened. And but with that said, it wasn't like their lawyer stood up on you know a pillar and said, "I hereby." I, I want John Calipari and Mike Shashevsky and I want uh, Shaka Smart and I want, you know, I mean, like Dana Altman. And there are people like a good example would be Dana Altman. Altman and Oregon was brought up in this last trial and they could have brought them. They could have could have brought Rick Pitino if they really wanted to. Um, right. Uh, Bill Self could have been one, although Bill Self was more related to Gasnola. But um, right. I, think, I think one thing to mention, somebody did ask why were um, – I guess in this case, it is a little bit different because somebody was asking why wasn't Bill Self subpoenaed? I would argue that Bill Self wasn't subpoenaed because um, a lot of the stuff that he was talking through was through TJ Gastonola, who's not on trial in the second one. Yes, but there, but no, there that's, were other... that's exactly right. I mean, if, if TJ Gastonola was on trial, Bill Self is likely and maybe Rick Pitino are taking the stand. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, and I have to go back to see if Pitino had connections with Dawkins. I, I forget. But like, I guess the bigger point would be. The de- the defense isn't saying we want ten people we want ten coaches here. I think they picked the two ones that they probably really wanted to see <laughs> on trial, and that's where we're at. Um, right. So I'm trying to think of other things that I was really trying to square, Rob, as we were kind of uh, circling through this. Is there anything that still is like um, you still couldn't connect the dots on something? Because I have one, but I'm trying to think of it. <laughs> so I'm oh, to well, I mean, it just I mean it, the and. The conversation is right here. Like Miller and Wade's lawyer 
will not have will not be there. Like their only challenge on the subpoenas will be on some material imperfection on the subpoena, how it was served, that it didn't have the right language, it wasn't you know like it wasn't filed properly or in a timely manner, that kind of thing. They they don't get to challenge you know relevancy and that kind of thing. Um, you know that's for the prosecution and the defense. So if the prosecution doesn't challenge these these witnesses, then um, you know Willer and Wade, Miller and Wade are are fully going to testify. Yeah, but I, I would assume that if I'm the prosecution, I'm usually on each one going to say I don't want that person, I don't want that person, especially if it's college yeah. coaches. So I don't I don't think I mean, we they should... probably challenge it. Yeah. It's, uh, so it's up, like, it's up to the judge then, right? It's up to the it's up to the judge, and this is a different judge than the first trial. This is not Kaplan, um, so I mean, it, at some level, for Arizona fans, you could say, "Well, that's a bummer," because Kaplan excluded this in the first trial. Um, but I also would say, I mean, Kaplan, after apparently seeing all the evidence, <laughs> has maybe decided college basketball really is just a thoroughly dirty business um, of late. So uh, it's. Uh, it will be up to this new judge, but I, I think the law dog was 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 spot on, and that they're the, explaining. And I, I think if there's something that's really worth re-listening to and thinking through, it is his point about the first trial, the the facts of the of the case, in the sense that these prospects got money, were not in dispute. What wasn't, so they did not argue this larger question of, of the underbelly of college basketball, what the defense and the prosecution did dispute was whether the schools had been frauded. In this case, the facts apparently on the defense, you know, between the defense are in dispute about um, the bribery itself. And, and that opens up, I think, a wider, you know, venue for, for the, the case to be argued. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, so a couple other things to highlight was that I want to give a shout out to and I for, it, his his Twitter handle is like DSJBFWC. But whoever's uh, avatar is Tom Servo from MST3K, which I su- super appreciate, um, had pointed out something that we had talked about a bit, Rob, in regards to the first trial when it was um, Arizona was brought up in like three different basically players. It was uh, Brian Bowen. It was Nasir Little. And it was... Uh, Aiton, although DeAndre Aiton was wasn't floated as much in the first trial, that was more just like big picture stuff. Um, he had sent a link that had highlighted Nasir Little and his his family basically saying, "Look, we didn't get paid," and then them playing evidence basically saying that like, "Nah, Nasir Little wasn't wasn't asking for money." So I'm gonna I want to double check into that, and, and and I'll definitely send it out uh, uh, once yeah. I read like I want to read two sources on that. But we have been talking about Nasir Little as somebody that. Um, that Arizona was tied to as like, you know, again, it was second and third hand accounts, but um, if that was cleared up, then we'll definitely make sure that that is cleared up. I I've been basically reading every article on this and I, I missed that one. So uh, we will definitely double check that. Um, I'm trying I, I, the other. Okay. So two more questions for you, then we'll sign off here. Uh, I was interested in what the law dog was talking about in regards to um, the prosecution possibly dipping the amount of jail time that they would throw at Christian Dawkins and company uh, based on what happened in the other trial. So there still is a chance that they would take a plea. I kind of thought they were going to go balls to the wall since they had such a lower uh, threshold in terms of what they were thrown uh, in terms of a sentence in the first trial. What do you think about that? I mean, it makes, I mean, you certainly can't, if you just got sentenced to six months on your first trip, six, six months at club fed, 
you can't come back with like two years at a medium security prison, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that. That's no, that is no longer an offer that the defense is going to entertain. Um, but I still think, you know, like these, uh, the defendants, you know, Merle, I mean, Merle Code's dad is actually a very well-respected judge in North Carolina. Um, maybe, no, in South Carolina. Like there's not, like, I, I think the defendants still are, are going, I mean, if you're in the defense at this point, like you've got a very light sentence in your back pocket, right? On the first trial, you're, you're likely to get a very light concurrent sentence in the second trial, even if you're found guilty. I mean, you're almost playing with house money. I mean, sure, you could save some money and not go to trial and not appeal. Um, but if you've got money in the bank and can continue to appeal, not having a felony on your record is, is nice. I actually, I mean, in some ways, yes, it does. Like the defense could like, if you're the defense, the defendant, you could decide like, I don't want to spend any more money to continue to appeal this. Um, but the other way to think about it is if you're already planning to spend the money to appeal anyway, I mean, now like, like what's the worst that could happen? I spend, you know, like three, I mean, they got six month sentences. They likely don't even serve the full sentence. I spent three months under house arrest, you know, you know <laughs> like, that's I, not the worst. Yeah. And I'm curious to see if they bring up somebody, if they subpoena somebody from Adidas, if I'm, if I'm Dawkins or if I'm more, if I'm Gatto or code, I'm pissed, right? Like I worked for you all and you asked me to go do this and I went and did it. And why are you guys getting off scot-free and why am I being, uh, why am I yeah. the one on the stand right now? So I'm really curious to see why that hasn't been the case. Do you, do you, is there yeah, an and I, obvious reason? Well, I mean, I don't know. That, I mean, it is it is interesting that they haven't subpoenaed anyone from Adidas. It's also, I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I think Wade and, and Miller were chosen because it, they they fit what the defense's strategy is the best. But it's also interesting that they're both Nike coaches. Um, you know, I mean, LSU and Arizona are Nike schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, code worked at adidas i mean he worked at nike for a long time too it's interesting that they haven't subpoenaed anyone from nike because um, there's plenty in the court record from the first trial about adidas um you know there's i mean like i you know you could easily subpoena someone from from nike to show how widespread this is too um yeah i i do find i do find that interesting but it also may not have been publicized yet like it may not be something that the i mean the coaches are sort of like the big I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, Haney's got a big mouth, so <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's definitely litigating this in the press right yeah, now. Yeah, he is. Um, you could. I mean, I, I would expect if he was going to subpoena a, a Nike exec or an Adidas, like we'd, we'd hear about it. But it, it could be possible that we just we haven't heard about it yet. Well, we didn't in the first one. I thought that that would be the trial, right? So this was more about defrauding universities and oh, they they these people were taking advantage of these people. It's like, well, what are you talking about, man? Like my multi billion dollar company told me to do this. Why am I why am I serving jail time here? Um, well, and I'm surprised too because there are. Uh, there are federal bribery laws that involve that can get corporations into trouble. Like I don't, and if, if the argument is that bribing public officials, like there's no way you can argue that Gatto and Code were operating as like rogue agents within Adidas. That <laughs> that that part I found sort of interesting was that I mean they really went for like the low hanging in some ways like the lowest hanging fruit there because i mean they they could have gone after and, and found um i mean and 
Adidas, in that case, the Adidas executives would have been held criminally liable. Um, I know this because I used to work at a bank and I went through extensive anti-bribery training <laughs> because banks are famous for bribing government officials around the world. <laughs> um, so I used to have to go through extensive anti-bribery training. And there's, yeah, I mean, you could, you, they could have been charged. I, I still find that odd, actually, that they went after Gatto without bringing in the larger question of like, hey, uh, were you actually hired to do this very job? They called them the black ops. Like they, they would literally, they literally had their own budget and people that they reported yeah. to. <laughs> Jeez. But, I uh, mean, but these dudes had normal. I mean, like the fact that, I mean, I like, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before. I mean, these guys had like 401ks as part of their job. Like this is, this is like a normal job. You pay taxes, you have a 401k, you know, like it comes with health insurance. Um, you know, I just, I, I find it, I find it odd that they're, I do find it odd that they are being indicted for basically doing what they were professionally paid to do <laughs> above, the, above the table, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, let, let's leave it there. We're at about an hour, and we'll keep keep on this story. But, jo- I mean, more importantly, join us in Vegas. If you're in Las Vegas, join us. We will we will love to talk Arizona basketball. We love talking Pac-12 basketball. If you share this podcast, you get a free bingo card. And if you share, by the way, we're going to have two podcasts this week, one from us and one from uh, – uh, who, who, who do we got? We had uh, Ronnie and Adam recorded a podcast on uh, talking about the ASU game and the games that Arizona played. So much more like on the court basketball stuff. Share any of those podcasts. You get a free bingo card or you get a free uh, bracket. And then if you tag somebody in your share, we will give you both of them. And the winner gets uh, a we got a bunch of we got a bunch of prizes. Very excited. Like really. Are we going to we're going to release this on the Pac-12 too. Right. I mean, I'm, uh, I think Utah fans and Colorado fans would also love to hear this. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, all the, they're the only ones I that mean, probably want to hear little, this. It's a little schadenfreude right up, but I mean, you know. We might have more downloads on the pack, the 12-pack radio podcast than the Arizona one. Uh, yeah, so uh, that too. So if you are a um, – if you're a member of – or if you're a listener at 12-pack radio, uh, we will give away our free uh, – we'll give away a free copy of our completely uncalled for 2019 uh, Pac-12 football preview, which will be 130 pages like in-depth. It just previews of every single team. We'd spend so much time on that. It's awesome. It's totally worth reading. So um, let us know. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at 12PAC Radio if you're a 12 pack listener. You can follow us at Wildcat Radio, Wildcat Radio AZ if you're an Arizona listener. Anything else, Rob? No, this was this was great. This one was really good. I'm I'm so glad we got him on. Yeah, and let us know if you're a fan of another team and you're in Vegas. Like, hit us up. We're uh, we're going to be at the the Beer Haas. 1 o'clock p.m. Friday. Be there, and uh, we will catch you all soon.